I'd love for you to get your Bibles out. We're going to use them today. Thank God for using our Bibles, right? <laughs> We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. Once again, talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I've heard people, I'm just going to give you my opinion here. I've heard people teach that there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. And I understand where they're coming from. However, if you read the Gospels, there are some of the exact same parables that are told in one Gospel, and then they're told in another Gospel. It's the same parable, and one says Kingdom of God, and one says Kingdom of Heaven. So that's, that's my uh, explanation as to why I believe they're the same thing. Um, what we also have to understand is that the Kingdom of God is here amongst us, is in us, and yet there's a Kingdom coming. There's a kingdom that's not here yet. It's, it's this kingdom, but it's not in its full force. It's not in its fullness yet. The Bible tells us that, uh, well, let's just think about it practically. How would you, what, what makes the kingdom of God? But what's the key part of the kingdom of God? If you could name one thing that, that, that's important in the kingdom of God, I'm going to give you a hint. It's right there in the name, kingdom. The king is pretty important in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is where God is ruling and reigning, right? It's where he's, he's king, he's ruling, he's reigning. You might say, well, isn't, hasn't he always been the king? He has always had the right to be the king. He has always been king of kings and lord of lords. And yet, he gave dominion to humanity. He gave dominion to Adam and Eve. And they gave it up in the garden. So no less than, than, than a, the greatest uh, representative, no less than God himself. When Jesus came to the planet, Jesus said, when he referred to the devil, when he referred to Satan, he called him the ruler of this world. He called him the God of this world. So there are phrases, and you might say, well, I'm quite uncomfortable calling Satan the ruler of this world. Well, me too. So thank God that Jesus died on the cross Amen. and rose again and won the rights back. Right. Now here's the deal. Even in the New Testament, after Jesus is resurrected, Paul says the God of this world, little g, has blinded the eyes of them that don't believe so that they would not see the light of the gospel. So Satan is still having, he's allowed to do some stuff because people are allowing him to do things. The Bible tells us that, that where believers are, the kingdom of God goes with them, that the kingdom of God has come near to those when the gospel is preached. And yet we know that when Jesus comes again, uh, there, there, the scripture tells us there will be a new heaven and a new earth created and he will rule and reign on the earth and he'll rule with a rod of iron and his will would be, will be done and the Bible tells us that in that time there'll be no war in that time the lion will lay down with the lamb in that time a kid could stick its hands in a poisonous snake's nest and not be afraid that's what the Bible says that's not happening right now yet is it? We haven't fully stepped into the fullness of what the kingdom will be. And yet Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. So we have to understand that there's, there's, there's a now, this is, this is where we are right now, and there's a future. And, and both of those things are really good. So right now, how do we live out the kingdom of God? How do we, how do we uh, say, as Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And he's not just talking about in the sweet by and by. He's talking about here as well. It's not perfect yet. It won't be perfect yet. 
But right now, we're walking in it. And so what we've been doing over the past several weeks is going back to what Jesus said when he said the kingdom of God is like this. And we want to see when he says the kingdom of God is like this, what, how does he describe the kingdom? You see, I could sit up here and I could describe to you what I think the kingdom of God looks like, but I'd much rather let Jesus do that. I'd much rather us listen to the voice of Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a seed, he says. The kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of God is, is, is all of these things. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20 as he describes the kingdom of God being like a vineyard owner. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So Jesus is pulling his truck up to the Home Depot, <laughs> picking up anybody that needs a job. The landowner's coming and he, he, the harvest is ready so he needs workers to come in. You guys remember that Jesus said that the problem is not that there's not enough laborers in the vineyard, right? The, Jesus was walking with his disciples and what did he say? He said, guys, look around you. The fields are ready. People are ready for the gospel. He said, the problem isn't there aren't, that there are not enough people ready to hear the gospel or ready to receive the gospel. He says, the problem is we don't have enough people going out and reaching them. So he says, we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest, the landowner, that he would send laborers into the field. Now, we're those laborers, aren't we? You know, what's cool about that is, is in one of the Gospels when Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field, his disciples go, yeah, let's pray about that. Okay, let's pray. And then he goes, okay, amen. All right, two by two, you guys are going to go. And, and all of a sudden they're realizing that they're the answer to the prayer they just prayed, which is uncomfortable for, the, for those of us that have been saved for a long time, right? Those of us that have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we get into the mode of, I want to pray about it. I don't actually want to do it. I like praying about it. I could stay at home and pray about it. But when I say amen, if you're going to send me out, that's another story. Well, thank God, you shouldn't pray anything you're not willing to be part of the answer for. Amen? If you're not willing to, for God to use you to be part of the answer, don't bother praying the prayer. And the disciples found that out real quick. Here, here he says, you also go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. He says this in verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour. So uh, uh, Jewish day started at 6 a.m. So the sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now those, those, those guys have been working since morning. Those guys have been working in the hot noon sun. I mean, I'm sure when they see the 3 o'clock laborers pull up, they give them a look like, you know. But, but in the back of their head, here's what they're thinking. You know what? They didn't have to work in the hot noon sun. They haven't been working since morning, but at least we'll get paid better, huh? We're getting paid overtime. Here's the problem. They didn't sign up for overtime. They signed up and, and the landowner said, is this fair? And they go, yeah, that's fair. But, well, let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. He says this. And about the 11th hour, all right, so we're really getting along here. We're at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. At the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they're like, well, we don't have a job. They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. Remember, that's what the first group signed up for as well. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have only worked an hour. Right? Because evening for them is 6 o'clock. He hired those last guys at 5 o'clock. They show up, work an hour, and get paid the same as the guys that worked in the morning. He said, those guys who only worked an hour, you've made them equal to us, who've borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Do you guys remember scorching heat? Does anybody remember that? (laughs) Faintly in the back of your mind, can you stretch out and remember what heat felt like? (laughs) going to take, it's going to take some faith to believe that heat exists, I know, but there, there is a place where heat is, the sun touches people, like it's, it's real. He answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go, but I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful, isn't it right for me to do what I wish for with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Now he says this is what the kingdom of God is like. Can we just settle something? The kingdom of God is not fair. Now when we hear that, we think it's not fair like it should be better. No, the truth of the matter is is God's not fair because we're not all dead, right? You, You were saved because God's not fair. God is just. God is righteous. He's holy. There's not a crooked bone in his body if he had bones. But here's the deal. He's not fair because fair would be we all die and go to hell. Right? We get this self-righteousness where we think we earned something. And we don't realize that what we earned, thank God he didn't give us what we earned. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us so much better. And so the deal is these guys signed up and when they got there, Do you see how your view of God, your view of how he treats you, your view of the anointing on your life, your view of the gifts in your life, your view of what God is doing in you, in isolation, just you and Jesus, it's pretty easy to keep it straight. When these guys got hired, they said, that's fair. That's totally fair. Had they been the only ones that worked all day, they still would have thought it was fair. They hired on in the morning. They knew what they were getting. They knew that was a fair wage. They didn't argue with it. They didn't say that a denarius is far too little. They thought it was a good wage. They didn't start thinking it was bad until they saw other people getting something. Do you realize that one of the greatest attacks on our own walking with, with God, our own walking in the giftings he's given us, our own uh, walking with Jesus and serving him, one of the, the biggest obstacles we have to face is... Envy and jealousy and strife based on we're doing just fine until we look around and see somebody else getting something we want. You know, one of the early church fathers wrote, this is, this is not in the scripture, it was a guy that, uh, one, of the, one of the guys that trained under Peter and trained under John. And he wrote later, he goes, wasn't it because of envy that some of those first apostles were killed? Now you could say, it was the envy of the Jewish leaders of the time, or the Gentiles of the time, the pagans of the time. But in reality, you got a guy like Paul who stands up at the end of the day, and he stands on trial and no one shows up. 
He said in his letter to the Philippians, he said, there are people that are happy I'm in prison. There are people that are preaching out of competition. Even the great apostles of the Bible had to deal with people that were jealous. Can you imagine, just imagine for a minute, if you were part of the original apostles, the original 12, or, or you were part of the original 120 that were there on Pentecost, and there's been a guy that's been killing and putting in prison your friends. This Saul of Tarsus fellow is persecuting you. He's chasing you down. He's hunting your friends down. He's arresting leaders of your churches. Then he claims to get born again. Ananias vouches for him, says, I was there. But he claims he's born again. He claims he's turned his life around. And all of a sudden, God is using him as not just a guy in the church, but one of the main leaders of the church. The guy that's going and seeing miracles. The guy that's going and starting churches all over the empire. Can you imagine how you might have had to work your heart out with that guy? You might have, you might have had to deal with some heart issues with Paul strolling in and going, hey, I'm teaching today. This is the guy that arrested my sister. This is the guy that, that uh, put my pastor in prison. This is the guy that had some of my friends murdered. And now Jesus is using him to do great things. That jealousy is a real thing. That envy is a real thing. And it comes from a sense of self-righteousness. Well, you should know by now that self-righteousness doesn't save anybody. Our self-righteousness is never enough. We had to have righteousness as a gift from God. We had to receive our standing with God. And so these first guys that got hired, if they had worked alone, they would have been fine. Their problem is not with their reward. Their problem is with other people getting a reward. Now Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. And he says, you're going to find that the first are last and the last are first. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, all the prophets of the Old Testament were searching their scriptures and searching their writings they were prophesying about a Messiah, but they didn't know who they were talking about. And he said they were searching the scriptures, making careful inquiries, trying to find out who they were prophesying about. He said, it's been revealed, Peter said this, that in the last days they were talking about us. They were prophesying for our benefit. Can you imagine being one of those prophets? Guys like Ezekiel, who had to lay on his side for hundreds of days. He, he, God, God told him, lay on your side for this many days for the sins of Israel. Lay on your other side for this many days for the sins of Judah. Oh, eat bread that's been cooked over manure. And Ezekiel goes, God, I'll do all the other stuff, but, you know, it's against the law to eat bread that's been cooked over human manure. And God in his graciousness, God in his mercy says, okay, Ezekiel, I hear you. You can cook it over cow manure. And he goes, thank you, God. You're so kind. <laughs> Jeremiah had to spend multiple days starving in a pit. Many, Zechariah, one of the prophets, Zechariah, murdered in front of the temple. These prophets, you know, they went through so much to get the word out. Can you imagine what they must think when they see guys like you and me? Get to stand on this side of the cross and say, hey, thank you for prophesying that for me. Thank you for that word that was for me. You know, Peter says they were prophesying for us. That may not seem fair, but nothing is really fair. God's just better than that. You know, Jesus said that 
when he's talking about John the Baptist, he said there's been no greater prophet. He said John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that ever walked the earth. But he says, the one that is least in my kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. You think that's fair? That's not fair. But it is God's mercy and it is God's grace. See, even those great prophets of the Old Testament didn't earn God's favor. They received it by faith. Even John the Baptist did not earn his spot in God's good books. He received grace just like you and me. And so when we read this, you might ask yourself, am I, which, which person am I in this story? Am I, am I the one that uh, got there early and was working for a long time? Am I the 11th hour one that came in at the last hour and worked and got the rewards? And the truth is you're all of the above. See, in the scope of history, we are the 11th hour people. In the scope of history, we're the ones that get to bring in the harvest. Came in here at the last and, and get to experience the glory of God in these end days. That's pretty awesome. In the scope of history, we're the ones that received so much more for so much less. But at the same time, maybe you identify with the early workers. Maybe you've been born again for a long time. You've been working hard. You've been praying hard. You've been serving. You've been feeding the poor. You've been interceding. You've been coming to all the meetings. And you've been doing all those things. And then some new believer comes in the back door. Throws their marijuana cigarette in the gravel. Comes in. Receives a touch from God. And you've been praying for, you've been praying for revival. You've been praying for God to resurrect you and, and get you excited. And you're like, God, what are you going to do in me? And this person's dancing all over the place. They got healed. They got set free. They got filled with the spirit. And you're going, man, I've been praying for that for so long. Well, here's how we should respond. I think you already know how you should respond. Rejoice. You know, if you can be humble enough, have that guy lay hands on you. My, uh, my dad, his first experience with the, being filled with the Holy Spirit was in an old Pentecostal church in uh, Texarkana, Arkansas. I don't know if it's Texarkana, Texas, or Arkansas. It's a border city like ours. And um, he went with his friend. And uh, they went to this meeting because my dad was searching out. He had heard that there's more. You know, he'd been raised in a, he, he was born again in a denomination that preached salvation really well, but didn't preach about the filling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so he knew there was more and he wanted it. So he went to this meeting and there was a, a preacher there who had the most Southern Pentecostal name you've ever heard, A.C. McGraw. Brother A.C. McGraw. You know, that's, that's old school, right? Like you knew if you were going to a, a meeting with Brother A.C. McGraw, he was going to build, bring a big fat King James Bible. He's going to preach. It'd be better if it was in a tent, but he might preach in a building if he had to. Dad goes to this meeting. My dad goes. He gets filled with the Spirit. His friend is just there kind of, sort of getting some of it. The preacher says, you go lay your hands on your friend. Oh, okay, okay. And he does, and his friend gets it. Well, then they're told to lay their hands on all these other believers. Now, these are other good Pentecostal believers. They've been believing for this for a long time. You know, there's something that you've got to deal with with your own ego when a new believer or someone new in your church comes around and says, I've got something for you. And you go, you got something for me? <laughs> Hang on there, rookie. 
You need to pay your dues. I've got something for you. Sit down. I'm going to give you five sessions. I'm going to give you, how many hours do you have? (laughs) And we forget it was by the grace of God we received anything. You know, Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to become like babies. Why was it that the most spiritually educated, the, the ones who knew the scriptures the best, the ones who had devoted their life to God, were the last ones to receive Jesus as the Messiah. Why was that? Because it was an incredible, incredible mountain to climb, getting over their own pride of we deserve this. Jesus said something that, that is so haunting. It's shocking. He said, you Pharisees, he says, in fact, he says it. This is three chapters later in Matthew. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you, won't, you yourselves won't enter the kingdom. You'll stand there right at the doorway. You won't enter the kingdom and you stop other people from going in themselves. Why wouldn't they enter the kingdom? They had this block that says, we deserve this. We've done right. Paul, you can see in Romans chapter 10, you can almost hear him crying. He says, my prayer is for my brothers. You know, as much as Paul was called to the Gentiles, have you noticed in the book of Acts, every time he went and preached somewhere, he preached in the synagogue first. He went back to his own Jewish people and he said, I want to preach to you first. And many did believe. He even said in one of his writings, he said, I've been called to preach to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. So what he would do is he'd go into the synagogue and he would preach. And he would preach to his brothers. And and he would preach until they kicked him out. Then he'd go to the Gentiles, folks like me. But here's the thing. In Romans 10, he's, he's weeping over his friends. He says, my prayers for my brothers. He says, I, my prayer is that they'd be saved. Because trying to establish their own righteousness, they refuse to be subject to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Trying to get themselves into heaven, they've kept themselves out. Jesus said, you stand there at the gates and you won't go in and you won't let anyone else go in. So Jesus says, you know, if you could become like a kid, you can enter the kingdom. You got, you got, to, get, you got to get to the point where you realize, I, I didn't bring anything to the table. This is, all, this is all his mercy. This is all his grace. If God was fair, we'd all be dead. Do you ever prayed every now and then, thank God you're just, thank God you're righteous, and thank God you're not fair? Thank God you're not fair. You might, that was, when I was a little kid, I was a little justice boy. It's not fair. Right? Isn't it great when your own mother testifies against you? It's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not right, it's not fair. You know, you, you scream at your sister for cutting in front of you at, in line at Disneyland. It's not fair. She cut in front of me. You're at Disneyland. That's not fair. <laughs> right? Did you pay your way to Disneyland, little Jonathan? No. Did you drive yourself here? No. None of this is fair. <laughs> and there's the first people that are working. They've worked all day. And listen, they said, this is a good deal for us. Until they saw someone else getting the same deal who came later. I am convinced of this. That one of the plans of the enemy 
is to keep, take your eyes off Jesus and put your eyes on other people. And to begin to look and compare yourselves and say, why them? Why me? You know, somebody once said this so, so just simply and, and, and in my opinion perfectly. He said, Satan can't steal the gifts that God put within you. So his best bet is to get you to lay them down. You'll lay him down because of a sense of inferiority. You'll lay him down because you, you just, uh, uh, you're, you've bought into the condemnation. Or you'll lay him down because you're frustrated that they're not what you want. The old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side, that, that works with spiritual things too. Why can't I do what they do? Why, why can't I preach like they preach? Why can't I sing like they sing? Why can't I pray like they pray? Why can't I be like them? And Jesus is saying, I want you to be like me. Here's the deal. Do you realize that this church has been praying for this city for many, many years? And here's the deal. Some of you have been putting your blood, sweat, and tears on the carpet praying for revival. Praying for the Spirit of God to touch people. And there's going to be people that get saved as a result of your prayers. And they're going to get the full dose without doing any of the work. And you shut up at all the prayer meetings. And you spend hours in the middle of the night praying. And they're going to get, they're just going to go, look how easy it is. Look at me. I just got a full touch from the Spirit of God. Look at me. My life is different. It is so easy to have revival. And you go, you punk, you don't know anything about easy. And there's a little voice in the back of your head that goes, they don't know how hard it was. And you start to say, not only do they not know how hard it was, they need to know how hard it was. In fact, I don't think God can use them until they go through some of what I went through. You know, they'll go through their own stuff. You don't need to bring it on them. Why don't you let God be in charge of that? Why don't you realize that your laboring in faith is not what gave you the results you got? It was important, but it didn't earn it. My dad used to tell a story. It always stuck with me. <laughs> told a story, and he said, you know, can, can you imagine that somebody gave you your dream vehicle? Like gave you, you know, let's say your dream vehicle. Tony is not a Lamborghini man. I can tell. Are you a Lamborghini man, Tony? You, you wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, he's a Lamborghini man. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so if anybody's got a Lamborghini you want to give to Tony, he's ready, all right? Now, but let's say somebody gave Tony a Lamborghini. Gave him a Lamborghini. said, this is yours. No strings attached. Here are the keys. I would stand out in Lloydminster, right? You might not fit in. But here's the keys. You have a Lamborghini. And Tony goes, oh, man, I, I, I can't accept that from you. It just hang on a minute. Just, just wait a minute. I think I got, yeah, yeah. I got, I got it two quarters here. Here you go. I can't take this gift from you, but I can pay you for it. Here's two quarters. We're square, right? I mean, that would be insulting. I'll give you $10 for that Lamborghini. That's insulting. But that's what we're doing when we say, Jesus, no, no. I can't take that gift from you, but, but I can earn it. No, you can't. You don't have it. And so learning to rejoice when others get paid what you think you earned is a wonderful thing. The prodigal son, remember he went off to the far off land and he wasted his inheritance. And he came back home and his father was so happy that he came home that he, he threw him a party. 
Everybody thought he should have been grounded. Everybody thought he should have put an adult timeout, but he got a party and he got the, the, the finest meat at his party and, 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 and he got a ring on his finger and he got nice new clothes and the father looks around at the party and he can't find the prodigal son's older brother and he looks around and he says, where did he, why isn't he here? He sends a servant after him and says, why aren't you here? And the older brother says, I've worked all my life for my dad. I never left. I didn't do anything. I didn't go off and waste my money on, on loose living like my, my brother did. I didn't, I didn't do any of that stuff. I've been a good son. I stayed here. And he never threw me a party. And what did his father say? Everything I have is yours. All you had to do was ask. Can I just put something to you? That older brother did not earn everything his father had. That older, all his years put into the soil, all his years of labor still didn't earn him everything his father had. And yet that's what was being offered him. His father offered him more than he thought he earned. But he's frustrated because his younger brother who earned nothing is getting everything. And the father says, you could have just asked, I would have given you anything. Have you ever considered that your jealousy, the envy we let in, is going to keep us out of the reward that the Father has for us. It'll keep you out of the party. It'll keep you out of what God has for you. That's not what God wants for you. Understanding that the last will be first and the first will be last. Listen, this is not a parable telling you how to run your business, right? Don't go back to your business and go, I'm paying everybody the same. Doesn't matter how many hours you work, I'm paying them. <laughs> I'm a Bible man. No, that, there's other scriptures that tell you not to do that. God says in James, he says, your laborers are crying out for their unpaid wages. <laughs> Jesus said a workman is worthy of his hire, worthy of his wage. So don't go and say, I learned in the Bible today that I only have to pay you each $10. <laughs> this is about something else. It's about something else. There's a humility. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And I, I, I want to, you know, there, there's, it's possible because in the world, the smarter you get, the more arrogant you get usually, right? Now, the more you know, the more you think of yourself. But in God's kingdom, it's, it's opposite. The more we grow, the more we should be growing in humility. Right. And you realize, man, the more I come to know Jesus, the more I realize I didn't earn a bit of this. This is all just his goodness. And when you know it's all his goodness, you don't stand in the way of someone else receiving his goodness. Can you imagine the thief on the cross? Listen, the Bible, you know, we call him the thief on the cross. I don't know what he did, but I know crucifixion is a pretty intense punishment if he just stole some bread. When the man was crucified, he must have been a hardened criminal. Maybe he wasn't. The Romans weren't perfect. But here's a guy that the Bible doesn't say he was an innocent man. He said he was a guilty man. Here he is on the cross looking at Jesus. He spent his life, a life of crime, a life of selfishness, a life of looking out for number one. He's dying. He even admits, he goes, you and me, and he goes to the other guy that's on the cross, and he goes, you and me, we're dying for something we did. This man's innocent. So this man on the cross admits, I deserve to die. I deserve to be executed. I don't know what he did in his life, but it was enough that he thought he was getting his rightful due by getting executed. And he looks at Jesus and he says, 
I believe you are who you say you are. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus looks at him and says, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine if you're the people that man stole from, that man <laughs> murdered or whatever, and you somehow meet him in heaven, and you're walking around going, hey, hey how'd you get here? <laughs> I was at your trial. What? This isn't fair. I know, I know you got arrested after you did what you did. You had no time to do anything right. How is it that you are in paradise with me? What righteousness did you accomplish? What did you do? Well, I looked over at Jesus, and I was like, hey, buddy, remember me. Jesus said, okay, now here I am. <laughs> well, that's not fair. Of course it's not, but it's not fair that you're in paradise either. The wages of sin is death. The wages, wages is a word that means it's what you deserved. Wages of sin is death. But the what? The free gift of God is eternal life. We never should take a free gift and start considering it our wages. We believe this. Hebrews says that we must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. There are rewards in heaven and there are rewards that are tied to what you do here on earth. But you have to realize even when you get rewards for what you did, they're not what you deserve. Not one of those crowns did you really earn. Paul said this. Paul is the guy that brags about his reward in heaven. But he also says, I'm the least qualified to be an apostle. Now, we would say, okay, well, then you're out. I'm the least qualified. Oh, you admit it? Then, yep, see, you're no longer an apostle. He goes, I'm the least qualified to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I worked harder. We've gone late today. <laughs> but I want to just leave you with this thought. God's going to do great things among you. He's going to do great things among us. You're going to get to rejoice with those that came late to the party. You're going to get to rejoice with those that are here as a result of your prayers and your work. So let's celebrate the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's not as late as I thought. My iPad's an hour ahead. <laughs> I was like, boy, I must have gotten a groove. I saw everybody look at their watch like, really? <laughs> All right, buckle in. Let's keep going. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, then what does grace look like in your life? I think it looks like the opposite of God opposing you. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. What would be the opposite of God opposing you? That's what grace looks like in your life. And G mom mentioned this verse earlier. It's, the, it's what Jesus said to his disciples. Freely you've received, now freely give. I want to tell you something very important. You can only freely give once you realize that you freely received. You see, anytime we think we earned what we got, I got healed because I prayed hard. Or I had so much faith. 
I got a breakthrough because I worked for it. I fasted. I prayed. Well, thank God. Maybe, you know, it's a good chance that that fasting and praying was key to your breakthrough. But it was not the payment for your breakthrough. Jesus paid that on the cross. Jesus paid the price for that. You couldn't fast enough days. You couldn't pray enough days. That's what the Pharisees did. Oh, because I fast and I pray, I earn God's favor. And Jesus said, you earn nothing. He said, be like this guy who beats his chest and says, God, I've done nothing. Have mercy on me. He said, that's the kind of man who's going to be justified. That's one of the few verses in the Gospels where Jesus talks about justification by faith. And I want to urge you today to freely receive grace, to freely receive the reward that God has paid for with his own blood. And when you freely receive, then you freely give. There's going to be people that, you know, like, like me. My dad, amen. <laughs> My dad went, into the, uh, went to Loon Lake, and I, uh, for some of those years, Kim went up for several years. I went up for quite a few uh, went up to Loon Lake at a time where it was, I shared this with the men earlier on Monday night, at a time where it was spiritually rough. There were some of those services where we'd show up to Loon Lake, driving an hour and a half to get there through snow and hail and all those other things. And no one would be there and we'd just have a little prayer meeting and go home. When my father went to heaven, a few months later I took over that church and in only a couple of months, the church was full of people. And it wasn't because, I mean, guys, I was not a good preacher back then. <laughs> Hopefully I'm getting better, but, you know, I was just young. I was just starting. It wasn't because I was a good preacher. It wasn't because there was a new guy. Because when you talk to those people that were coming to the church, do you know what they all said? Your dad preached when I, was, I came here when I was a kid and I heard the gospel or I came here and my grandma started coming. There were people who had seeds planted years ago by my father and my mom that hadn't been coming and then they start coming. So here I am, a new pastor and I got these people coming to my church that are doing awesome and they're helping out and they're, they're asking great questions and I didn't bring them to the church. They were there as a result of somebody else's labor. Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, he said, we are harvesting another man's labor. We're walking in fields we didn't plant. We're, we didn't do this, guys. If Jesus could say that, how much more could we? And I realized, that, you know, if my father had had the attitude of, why don't I get what I deserve, he would have left a long time ago. But because he said, my reward is with God. God is the one that rewards and, and I'm just privileged to be part of his ministry. Because he had that attitude, I got to reap the results. I got to step into the harvest. You know what? I think he would have rejoiced knowing that. I want you to have that same attitude. I want you to know that your father is a good, good father. That your Master is a good, generous. Remember what he said. They weren't mad at his stinginess. They were mad at his generosity. When people get mad, when religious people get mad, we get mad because God is just too good to someone who doesn't deserve goodness. Remember what they said to Jesus. You know, you shouldn't be so nice to those people. Do you know what they've done? And Jesus says about one woman, he goes, she's been forgiven much, so she loves much. 
what they didn't realize is they needed just as much forgiveness. They needed just as much mercy. One more story. John. Peter, Peter talks to Jesus and, and Peter says, or Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to die a really rough death. Which is those great conversations you have with Jesus. He says, Peter, when you're an old man, people will tie you up and they'll take you where you don't want to go and they'll, they'll put you on a cross just like I was on a cross and you'll, you'll die. Thanks, bud. <laughs> this, is, this is your promise. Hold on to that, Peter. Promise from God. You're going to die a horrible death. Oh, thank you. The Bible says this was to show him what kind of death he would glorify God with. So right after that, Peter looks over at John, who's teacher's pet. Little Johnny boy is the guy that calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And he sits next to Jesus. Can you imagine showing up at the Last Supper and John's just leaning up against Jesus? And you're like, come on, man. Come on, man. Have some respect. When they're wondering who's going to betray Jesus, Jesus won't really give it away. So they go, John, you ask him who's going to betray Jesus. So Peter just got his, Peter just got his fortune told. He just got told he's going to be killed. He's going to have to die for Jesus. And then he looks over at John and he goes, what about him? <laughs> See, as long as you tell me he's going to die a brutal death, I'll be okay. All right, what about that guy? Jesus says, what does, it bother, what does it matter to you if he lives until I come back? You, you follow me. What does it matter? He might live until you come back. I get to go to the cross. I get to go look like an idiot. You get, he might live until you come back. But what does Jesus say? What does it matter to you? You follow me. You follow me. There's always going to be that voice. What about them? Look at them. Look at that ministry they just got right away. They haven't been. They didn't put the sweat in that I did. You know what? You follow me, Jesus says. Jesus always says, oh, no, 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 no. Bring your eyes back to me. Bring your eyes back to me. Oh, there's that, that temptation to put your eyes on them and put your eyes on them. And you know what? If you're going to look around, rejoice in what God is doing. Jesus said, I rejoice that you've revealed these things to babies. Can you just do that? Can you rejoice with Jesus? You know, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son was part of a three-parable series that Jesus told as a response to the Pharisees because they refused to rejoice that the lost were being found. And every, each of those three parables, he says, at the end of the, each parable, he says, rejoice with me, rejoice with me, rejoice with me. Those parables are about the lost being found, but they're really about the people that refuse to rejoice because God is just too good to bad people. Well, he was so good to us when we were bad that we should rejoice together. Amen. Share in his joy, amen? Share in the joy of the harvest. The Bible says that the, the harvester will overtake the sower and they'll both come in together with shouts of joy, bringing in the harvest. That's not fair that the harvester is catching up to the one that's planting the seed. But thank God, let's just rejoice that the harvest is coming in. Right. Amen. Amen. Can we stand up together?